0: Concern with the miracle marathon, it happens to be Matthew chapter eight, and um, if you're familiar with it as a chapter, you know that in that one chapter, uh, Jesus like goes from uh, one point to another point to another thing to another thing all day long. Things are happening from morning until evening, and when you follow the chapter, it is just amazing. All that happens in the course of a single day. Let's look at some of them. He starts out with a leper being cleansed. And uh, this guy is made whole. And then he goes from there. And a centurion's servant is healed. And then he gets to Peter's house. And uh, Peter's mother-in-law is sick in bed with a fever. And he raises her up. And uh, then uh, everybody hears the news about it, and all the people uh, come from all over the place uh, to that area to be healed by him. They bring all the sick and those that have demonic problems, and the demons are cast out, and the sick are healed. And then Jesus is pretty tired, so he wants to get in a boat and uh, just take a, take a trip, and he, they get in a boat and heads out, and he falls asleep. And uh, only to be awakened by the disciples in the midst of a storm. And he stands up in the bow of the boat and he calms the storm. And uh, then they get to the other shore and lo and behold there's a a man uh, in the tombs that has been uh, overtaken by demons. And uh, he greets them and Jesus is back on the job again as he uh, delivers this man from these demonic spirits. So... You have one day in which uh, the, the the sick are healed, the lame are made to walk, the lepers are restored, the blind see, the demons are cast out, um, all kinds of things happen, a storm at sea is stilled, all of this happens, and Matthew in the middle of the chapter tells us that these things occurred Uh, to to validate Isaiah's prophecy found in chapter 53, verse 4. I think we have the text there. Our sicknesses he himself bore, and our suffering he carried. But we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. And by the way, that is a a very literal translation uh, from the Hebrew that He bore our sicknesses and carried our suffering or our pain. One of the things that Matthew wants to help us see is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Messianic promises of the Old Testament and that He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And in Matthew's Gospel, as Jesus comes announcing the kingdom of God. That announcement of the kingdom demonstrates His kingship through all of the signs and wonders and miracles that He performs. I want us to think this morning about a larger view of healing and miracles and demonic deliverance. We tend to see those things as as isolated events that Jesus, the miracle worker, accomplished. And we say, wow, He did amazing things. And we fail to put them into the context of what is really going on. Because Jesus has come to drive back the darkness. He has come to reclaim the territory that Satan has Uh, been in charge of he is coming to break the power of sin that is the essence of the kingdom the kingdom of God is is the advent of the light of God that comes into the darkness dispels the darkness and brings illumination as it recovers everything that was lost in the power of sin When Adam and Eve sinned, they brought this darkness through the world, and it affected everything. Everything on our planet has been affected by sin. We live in a domain of darkness. The Scripture says the whole world lies in the evil one, and that Satan is the prince of the power of the air from the time of Adam until the time of Jesus. This world was in in bondage to the law of sin and death. And it was ruling and controlling the hearts and lives of people. And when Jesus appears, He begins to drive back the gates of hell. And the proof of it is that He recovers what was lost. And in the consequence of that recovery... People with demonic problems are delivered. People with sicknesses are healed. Uh, people with all kinds of uh, disabilities meet the power of the good news of the kingdom. And lives are transformed and hearts are liberated and people come to a glorious uh, new experience of the kingdom of God. Healing and deliverance is intended... To be, since the time of Jesus, a normal part of the church and of the spreading of the gospel. It is intended to accompany those uh, who believe. Mark chapter 16 tells us that these signs will follow those who believe. He says, in my name they will cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll pick up serpents. They'll lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. That is the intent of Jesus as the disciples go forward to spread the gospel message. John 14:12. Jesus says an amazing thing. He says, "...the works that I have done shall you do also in greater works than these, because I'm going to my Father." And I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit and He's going to empower you and live through you the same way that He's been living through me. And you're going to experience the same power and the same amazing uh, miracles that are going to accompany your preaching that have accompanied mine. In James chapter 5, verses 14, to the church, James writes, "...is there any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church." And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil uh, in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed any sins, it will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you can be healed. Healing and deliverance isn't expected to be a part of the life of the church. As I read Matthew chapter 8, a day in the life of Jesus, and I see all of these healings occur, and then I look at the, the total context of Scripture in the New Testament, and I am informed that this is supposed to be the norm for the church. You know, I ask God, Lord, give me some understanding about divine healing and, in evangelism and, and in our daily lives. Help me to understand how this fits. And as I begin to analyze all that I read in the New Testament, one of the first things that occurs to me is that Jesus healed all who were brought to him. As the gospel spread, signs and wonders and miracles accompanied the work of the early missionaries. You read the book of Acts. What, uh, what do they say on the way to the temple? Silver and gold, well, I don't have any of that. But I'll give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And this lame fellow who had been carried to the temple day by day by day jumps up, walking and leaping and praising God because he has been mightily delivered. We find throughout the book of Acts that people are healed and miracles occur. Uh, so much so that even the handkerchiefs, I mean, this is weird, I mean, this, this sounds bizarre, but the handkerchiefs uh, were carried from the apostles uh, uh, to the sick. And just in proximity with that, there is healing that occurs. Of course, it wasn't the apostles' power, but it was the mighty name of Jesus Christ validating and authenticating the, the messengers who were proclaiming the good news. Friends, there are places in the world that if you go today and you announce that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, He is the one true way to God. He is the the one uh, person, the one God through whom you can be saved. They're going to challenge you and say, show us His power. Demonstrate His power to us because we know the power of our shamans and our witch doctors. And we know the power of our priests. And we know what they're able to do. And we know how demons are handled by them. And we know that we can get relief by going to them. Show us His power. They want to know, is He more powerful than their gods? And if missionaries are not equipped and not... Uh, of uh, sufficient faith and confidence to pray in the name of Jesus in the demonstration of His power, the gospel has a tough time uh, being believed. It is the power of God that authenticates the gospel message. The Apostle Paul said to the church at Corinth, I came to you not with persuasive words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I came to you showing you the mighty power of God. And yet, as I continue to read further in the New Testament, I learn some troubling things. Paul was not delivered nor healed immediately. If you read his testimony in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul tells us about a thorn that was in his flesh. Um, Actually, the, the text reads a messenger of Satan. But this thorn in his flesh caused bodily illness and He asked the Lord three times to take it away and it didn't go away. And finally, God's response to him is, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And so I find that the great Apostle Paul who healed many others was himself not healed. And then I learned that he stopped in Galatia and he was able to preach the gospel there and announce the good news of the kingdom because he was too sick to go on. He tells the Galatians, you know how when I first came to you it was because of a bodily illness and it caused me to have to stop and that's the reason I was able to uh, stay in your town for a season. and And he says, I I testify, you you would have plucked your own eyes out and given them to me if you could. Uh, Some people have surmised that Paul had some disease of the eye uh, that is what caused him to say that. I don't know that that was the case. Maybe he's just (laughs) speaking in hyperbole saying, you would have done anything for me. You would have given me your own body parts if it would have made a difference. But Paul was seriously sick. And yet not so sick that he couldn't preach. And so he preached and proclaimed the gospel. And as a consequence of that, the church at Galatia uh, experienced a mighty and dramatic uh, deliverance in the gospel message. Sometimes we learn in Scripture that illness is actually our doorway to the proclamation of the good news. Not the healing, but the sickness. And it's the sickness that opens doors for us that might otherwise have been closed. And then Paul talks to us about Epaphroditus. And he says uh, in the Philippian, uh, to the Philippians, Epaphroditus um, was sick to the point of death. He had a long, protracted illness. You know, uh, today, if someone became sick uh, this morning... We could email everybody and they would know within, you know, minutes that someone here was sick. But that wasn't the case in the first century for the news to spread back to Philippi from Rome that Epaphroditus was sick and to get word back and all of that exchange, that took weeks or months. And Epaphroditus was deathly ill for a long period of time. And Paul was afraid he was going to die. And you can believe that Paul was praying for him and praying for him and praying for him. He said, I was afraid he was going to die. I was worried over him. And I was praying for him. But God had mercy on us. And in his kindness, Epaphroditus has been restored and he has been made well. Sometimes healing takes a while. Um, we don't always see it occur the moment and the first time we pray. We, we pray and we pray and we pray and we ask God to intervene. I was thinking this morning as I was sitting over here and contemplating bringing this message, I wish I could go back and ask Paul, Paul, what was going through your mind when you were praying for Epaphroditus? What were you thinking how did you feel day after day when you prayed and prayed long into the night? And, and, and you wake up and he's just as sick as he was. I woke up this morning just suddenly out of the dead sleep, just bolt upright at four o'clock. Praying for Goldie. She was on my heart so much. She was just weighing on me and I just had to sit on the edge of the bed and pray for her for a while um, to, to get some relief from the burden that I felt. And day after day, and we pray and we pray and we pray. And sometimes we wonder, Lord, how long is it going to take? What we learn as we study the New Testament Uh, and explore it in some depth, is that not everyone is going to be healed. And all of us are going to die unless we're alive when Jesus returns. But on the other hand, we are encouraged in the Scriptures when we're sick to call for the elders. Friends, calling for the doctor, having the CAT scan, you know is not the first thing we're instructed to do. We're, in, we're, we're told to call for the elders. And by the way, if you have an emergency and you feel like you need to dial 911, have somebody else call the church. Meet you at the hospital. Pray for you. Call for the elders. The Scripture tells us that's the first step. Call for the elders in our distress, because healing is supposed to be a key part of the life of the church. We are supposed to look to the Lord for our healing. It was a normal experience in the early church, such that uh, Paul and John noted the exceptions. Paul said to the Corinthians, regarding the Lord's table, he said, Make sure that you examine yourselves when you take the Lord's Supper. Maybe I shouldn't be telling you this afterwards. I should have brought this up before. But examine yourselves when you take the Lord's Supper and see uh, if there's anything between you and God and get that straightened out. Because if you eat and drink in an unworthy manner, well, he says, that's why some of you are sick and some of you have died. Because you have treated carelessly the table of the Lord. In essence, what he's saying is that that you have allowed your life to become lackadaisical and indifferent, and and you are casually treating holy things, and and you are disrespecting God. And there's a price for that. But that was it. That was an exceptional kind of a thing. And in First John chapter five, we're told uh, there is a sickness that leads to death a sin that leads to death and he says I suggest that you not pray for people who are in that situation my question is how do you know well if you call for the elders there's a process and in that process there is discovery and in that discovery perhaps that will uh, surface or not but uh, John says there's a sickness that leads to death. And I don't encourage you to pray for that um, because God knows what he's doing. Ananias and Sapphira threatened the holiness and, and the focus uh, and nearly weakened the entire early church in their lie. And they came before Peter and lied to the Holy Spirit about what had happened. And they were stealing from the church. And they dropped dead on the spot. God wasn't messing around. Do I think Ananias and Sapphira were lost? No, I really don't. But they certainly didn't have a chance to hang around and make any bigger mess. God took them out of the way because they had lied to the Holy Spirit. And so there's always that factor to bring into consideration. Healing and deliverance is provided as a component of our salvation and is included in the atonement as a part of the children's bread. Some people get excited about us in the Christian and Missionary Alliance because we believe that healing is in the atonement. And they they get all concerned about that, worried. They say, well... Does that mean everybody's going to be healed like everybody's going to be saved? Well, that's not what we mean by that. What we mean is, frankly, everything's in Jesus, in the atonement. If you want to get down to it, Uh, Jesus has done everything. But the reality is, is that it is in the atonement that the power of sin is broken. And the power of sin includes demonic oppression and physical illness, just as much as it includes lostness and darkness of spirit. Everyone who comes to Jesus can be instantly saved and delivered from hell and from a life apart from God. Everyone can have that right now. But because of Jesus' atoning sacrifice, He has also extended that. And healing is available in the atonement. And deliverance is available in the atonement. And one day, the ultimate healing will be rendered when Jesus raises every believer bodily from the grave and restores us in fellowship with Him. Healing is linked to holiness. In the scriptures. Notice that I did not say it was linked to sin. I said healing is linked to holiness and to faith. Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed, for the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Holiness is tied to healing. And I want to say that I believe to a certain extent the reason that God has given the ministry of healing to the church is to underscore the necessity of walking godly with him. And when we fail to do that, we fail to see healing as it was intended. So what is our problem? And why are there so few deliverances and healings? Well, I want to say, first of all, that it's a Western problem. It's not a worldwide problem. It's a Western problem. If you look at the church in America, North America, Canada, Western Europe, Australia, if you look at the church in those areas you don't see many dramatic and powerful miracles. If you look at the grade portion on the map, and you look at South America, Central America, Africa, South Asia, and the islands, and and, and down in that direction, miracles, signs and wonders, healings, deliverances, are not nearly so unusual. All my life I have listened to missionaries come home from the field and testify to the mighty deeds of God. I have even heard very credible testimony of raising of the dead by a missionary who was not wacko. He was an ordinary guy. But he experienced, quite to his utter amazement, and not expecting it, uh, the wife of one of the church leaders who was raised from the dead as they were transporting her corpse back from another village to the home village to be buried. Healing is not unusual in most of the rest of the world. It is unusual in the West, predominantly. What is the problem with the West? Well, (laughs) Western rationalism. We are victims of an intellectualism that denies the supernatural, and it has affected all of us. We say we believe in God. We say we believe in a devil. We say we believe in angels and demons, but it's not very much in our thinking. And when we have problems, when we have an emotional problem, a psychological problem, we go to a counselor or a psychiatrist, psychologist. we have physical problems, we go to doctors and specialists. Um, when we have other kinds of issues, we find other people that will counsel us or or uh, give us prescriptions or help us in some way. We just got a book last week. We're in the process of reading it. And the guy is uh, a neurologist down in Florida. Um, he's also a board certified nutritionist and he has uh, treated a number of kids with ADHD, and he basically thinks it's a crying shame that we're putting so many children on Ritalin. He puts puts the point out that about 25% of children in most uh, schools are on Ritalin today, and the vast majority of them are simply suffering from food allergies, and all they need is good nutrition, you know? Well, eat right there, brother. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it's like, what's going on? We have a tendency to run everywhere except Jesus. Because we really don't think he's good for much, except to save us in the end from hell. Otherwise, we're kind of down here on our own. Rationalism prevails. Lack of holiness. Apathy toward God. Self-centered living in the whole church. The Western church is apostate. I don't know how what else you can call it. I, I'm not talking about every congregation or every person, but I'm talking about the whole picture. The Western church is backslidden, and we're in trouble. So, what's the solution? It doesn't mean that you can't experience God's healing and deliverance, or that our church cannot experience His powerful presence. Because, in fact, God is not so unkind that he is going to dump on every person the problems of the whole. You can have a personal connection with God and a walk with Him, and in your own walk in life with God, look to Him for your needs. Our church can experience His fullness, but there's a cost. We have to deal with our unbelief. We have to deal with our apathy. We have to deal with our idolatry. And by the way, idolatry means anything in your life that you have put ahead of God. And above all else, we must desire Him. But here's the good news. The good news is if we turn to, quote, Second Chronicles if we turn from our wicked ways and we seek Him with all of our heart He will meet us He will find us He will heal us He will restore us I long for the day when People come forward in this place and are instantly delivered from alcoholism without spending the rest of their lives in AA. I'm not being critical of AA, but when you have to go to a meeting three or four times a week, where's the victory? When you have to say, I am an alcoholic, even though you haven't drank for five years. Are you? Or has Dr. Jesus healed you and delivered you? I'm looking for the day when people who are struggling with rage and anger and bitterness are instantly delivered. And all of their Anger melts away and their lives become sweet and gentle and full of graciousness and kindness. I'm looking for the day when people who are sick come and they are prayed for and they are healed. Mercy drops around us are falling. We're seeing trickles. I want the whole flood. I want the healing streams. I want people all over this community to hear that Jesus is in this place and He will meet their need. I want to see this place swell with new believers who have come to find Jesus to be the answer To their deepest longing and to meet their need. I want to see marriages healed. I want to see people quit fighting. I want to see lives changed by the power of the gospel and not this slow 10, 15, 20, 30 year growth curve where we're barely different than we were the day we were saved. I want to see dramatic transformation. Because if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. New things have come. I want the kingdom of God to come powerfully in our midst. Don't you? Don't you? Do you want to give it all up to God today? Do you want to open your heart to Him? You may not even know where to begin. But if you just simply start by saying, Lord, I want you to do whatever it takes to make me whatever you want. I give you permission to touch anything in my life To straighten me out in any way you desire. To point out anything you have issue with. I'm ready today to do business with you. I want to get serious. I want to see your mighty power. I want your presence. I want to experience you. I'm not talking about miracles for miracles' sake. I'm talking about Jesus in our midst. Do you want that? Lord Jesus, you see the cry of our heart. We long to be a church congregation where you are enthroned without question as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We long to be a place where the Holy Spirit is free to do whatever He wishes because He is Lord in this church. We long to be a healing place. Not just in the body, but in the heart, and in the mind, and in the spirit, and in the emotions, and in the soul, to have You change us and make us whole. Lord, Manifest Your glory in this place and purify our hearts before You. In Jesus' name, Amen.